And so I'll never forget, 17,000 feet, I turned to my guy and I'm like, I can't go any farther. I'm done. Quit. It's over. This was a stupid idea. I never should have left my freaking warm house in Tennessee. I want to go home. My guy, Blake Bergstrom, is on the line. He's their first returning guest. If you want to listen to our very first episode where we were still trying to figure out what the heck we were doing, Blake was a kind enough friend to say, yeah, I just went on vacation. Let's do this. Very first episode was with Blake. One of the things that I've wanted to do since I started this podcast, I wanted to talk to Blake about his trip to Kilimanjaro, and we finally got the chance to do that. So, Blake, welcome to the show, my friend. Travis, man, it's great to be here. I just think the world of you, and I'm, I'm really proud of the way that this podcast is starting to take off. I love listening to it. I listen to it all the time. I go on drives, and I'll just like, I've got 40 minutes. I'm going to listen to one of your podcasts. So this morning, no joke, I was listening to the podcast of your friends that all got to go to Salt Lake City, Utah, and it was really bittersweet for me <laughs> because Travis had invited me to go to that trip and I was one of the friends that couldn't make it. And so to hear all of those stories of fly fishing and zip lining and how awesome it was, I was like, oh, this just sucks. I should have gone. I feel so, it was a free trip. You're going to pay my way. I just want to tell you publicly right now, <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I feel horrible, and I love you. And I just want to say thanks for having me on the show, man. I'm excited to talk about Kilimanjaro, dude. Yeah, it was Park, well, Salt Lake City and Park City. Park City is where we stayed. The funny thing about that, whenever we were doing stuff, we'd be like, "God, Blake and Mike, the two guys that we invited that didn't come." And like, Blake and Mike are so stupid. All right, I, I had that coming. Thank you. <laughs> Good for anyway, you. I'm glad. Anyway, you've been to much places, and you said Kilimanjaro was what your best travel memory, or how did you describe that? Kilimanjaro was definitely my most impactful trip because it was so hard. It was just a, it was just freaking hard. At any point in your life leading up to the planning of this trip, did you think, you know what? I think I'm going to climb Mount Kilimanjaro. The way the trip came about was I was talking in my men's group about, you know, doing big things. And as we were talking, the guys were like, you know what? We should just go climb Kilimanjaro. And so somebody was like, no, really, let's do it. And then four of us from my men's group decided to do it together. All right. So you kind of throw out this idea and then somebody says, let's actually do it. How do you prepare for that? I did all kinds of stuff. I ran, I ran a marathon that year. I also spent some time like running up and down my front, my, in my front yard. <laughs> there was like a hill that I just ran up and I put my backpack on and I just ran up and down it. I look like an idiot, but whatever. Before we get into flying there, getting on the ground, looking back, I know we've talked about this, you don't have much of a desire to do it again, but looking back in the preparation outside of just getting in shape, what what would you have done differently? What gear would you maybe have bought or found preparing to go? If you were to do it the second time around, what would you do differently? I don't know that I'd do a whole lot differently. I, I had a really great experience and I had all the right gear. So I had taken a lot of time to do my research and, you know, you can watch a lot of treks on YouTube. And I had done that. I had taken time to kind of know what people needed, what hats to have, what pants, what shoes. There's these these things you put around your ankles to keep from rocks going into your boots. And I had those. You need like five layers of clothing for the last the last route, the last day you go from Barafu uh, Camp up to Uhuru Peak. And that's uh, going from 15,000 to 19,000 foot. And that's what everybody talks about. That's like the hardest day. And so everybody talks about uh, the day that you summit. 
And so Summit Day, if you're talking about Kilimanjaro, everybody talks about how was Summit Day. That's the big question. And so I was prepared for that day. And, you know, yeah, I had five layers on. It was 15 degrees below zero. It was horrible. And so when I talk about the impactful, what, what was most impactful in my life, it's that day. Like that day was the hardest day of my life. All right. So let's just talk about getting there. I mean, at the time, I don't know where you live, but you would fly, I would guess, connect somewhere in Europe and then fly into, into Tanzania. How did you get there? Yeah, we, we took the route that goes through Amsterdam. And so we, we landed in Amsterdam and had a night a stay over there and then flew from there into Tanzania and then drove down to Moshi okay. in Africa. Yeah. So what, what percentage of white people that are flying to Tanzania are going there to climb <laughs> Kilimanjaro? Yeah. Yeah. It's surprising. There's a lot of people in the plane that, you know, have the same gear as you and kind of all North face and, you know, Marmot and all these, you know, high end expedition gear that you can just tell like, Oh, what are you doing? <laughs> well, I'm climbing yeah. killer trip. Me too. So there's a lot of that in the plane on the way over. I don't know. Walk me through. You land, get from the airport to what base camp? Just talk, take yeah. me through like after you land, what, what you're doing next. Yeah. So we were at this really cool little hotel. And so the night before, there's a lot of anticipation. Uh, I remember the showers didn't work very well. It's like a bucket that you dump on your head. And um, so we, we got a lot of conversation about what, you know, pack in and what we're going to put in our actual packs. And because you're thinking about weight, how much you want to distribute on the mountain. And so you, you're talking through all that the night before with your friends. And and um, it was cool because we're sitting around a pool and sort of like this great anticipation of this, one of the hardest things we've ever done in our life. And so we're all talking through that and preparing and. So the next day when we get up, these expedition trucks show up that are really Land Rovers, you know, you hop in and you head to the gate. And I think the gate's called Mount Makuba or something like that. And so you, you show you show up there from Moshi, you drive there. And the elevation when you get there, bro, is like 7,700 feet. So that's higher than anything in the Smoky Mountains to give you a kind of reference. Most yeah. of the Smokies are 65. So you're starting at 77. So um, that's probably misleading for a lot of people. They think that, you know, you, you're starting higher than, than Colorado, like than Denver. So this is 19,000 feet. So you're literally four miles in the air, but you start above a mile. So you're at 7,700 and you go from Mount Makuboy to, to the day one as you go to, to Shirai. We took the Lamosha route, if you know anything about the different routes. No, uh, but tell me, tell me about that. Yeah, so there's there's like five different ways to get up this mountain. And so there's Lamosha, I think there's Mueke, which is often called the Coca-Cola route, and it's the fastest. And most people try the Mueke route, which is – it's really – everybody calls it Coca-Cola. I don't know why. But uh, there's a Morongu route. There's a Rongai route. So these are all names you don't know, and the Machami route. Oh, and the Shira route. Uh, that's just kind of cuts off some of it. But the Lamosha route is definitely the longest and the most expensive because it's the most time on the mountain. So it's a nine-day route. We ended up making it faster than that. We did it in seven. And I'll explain that re later. I'll never forget the first day you show up at the Shira camp. And um, we're all finally get there after they weigh our gear. And you're with all these you know guides that show up. And you meet all these guys that you're going to spend the next you know, nine days with, and there's a lot of introductions and all of that. And they want to make sure that your, you know, your weight of your bags are right. And they do all this check-in and you're standing around And Our group all, once you, we kind of met up with some other people that were on our team and one of them was an older lady. And so we made it to the first, she, when I say older, I mean, she was 60, bro. I mean, we're talking, oh. she was pretty oh. old. 
Yeah, so she gets up to the first camp, and I felt so bad for her. That night, everybody's kind of partying, and we're all singing, you know, Jumbo, Jumbo, Yana, like there's this whole singing, and all these guys are all dancing, and they do this big kind of acclimate you to, hey, this is who we are, and it's kind of like, here's our culture, a lot of kunamatara and that sort of talking. And so anyways, this lady lays down in her sleeping bag, and the very first night, these ants like infest her entire sleeping bag. And so she starts her trip this way with bites all up and down her legs. She comes out in her underwear. I mean, so embarrassing. She comes out of her bag for all the people that are like thinking, should I climb Kilimanjaro? You're like, yeah, I'm out. Anyways, uh, she comes out of her tent and she's like covered in ants. And uh, I felt so bad for the very next day we go to Shira. It's another Shira camp. And um, we're at 9,000 feet now, 9,500 feet is this. No, no, we're higher than that. So we've gone to 11.5 by day two. You're at Shira one camp. And so it's more hunt, M-O-I-R, hut. And so you, once you make it to there, you're at 13,008. So we've gone from seven to 13. Okay, it's day three. And that was the day that she quit. She couldn't make it any farther. I felt so bad for her. She had trained and prepared and, and she couldn't make it. And in fact, at that same place, Shira One Camp um, at Moore Hut, one of the guides that were not in our team, but one of the guides actually passed away. And so what? Um, that what? was, yeah, yeah, died. And we were kind of all freaked out by that because she was leaving and then somebody had passed away. And when there's the, the noise of that and the, you know, kind of like overwhelming, like, holy crap, you know? So anyways, we make it on to, from Moore Hut to this place called no, stop, Lava Tower. Stop. So somebody died. Yeah. Like on Kilimanjaro in your group or ahead of you. What happened there? There's a helicopter that comes and lands on the mountain and takes off. And you're like, uh, what, what was that? <laughs> and so the guides had to tell us there's been a death. And so the reason why, bro, is because these guides, they make, they make $10 a day. Okay. So they're each going to get like, you know, 90, they're going to get up a hundred bucks for the whole trip. And they don't have any, they don't have any gear. So they're wearing, I'm not kidding. They're, they're hiking faster than us and they're, they're passing us and they're wearing flip-flops and you're just like, I need to give them my shoes because we're going to the top of Kilimanjaro. You don't have any, like you're in shorts, idiot. And so you feel horrible for them because they just can't afford it. You know, they don't, they don't have the money. And so you did, I ended up giving so much, I mean, most of my clothes away because I just felt so bad for them. They just didn't have the right gear. And that's, that's why. Something happened and his lungs, he got acute mountain sickness, AMS, and he passed away before they could do anything. Gee. And that's not that high. We're only at our, our elevations, like 13.8, which I guess, you know, Rocky Mountains are 14ers. So you're, I shouldn't say it's not high. It's pretty high. And I don't know if it was like his first time to do it. They say a lot of guys just try it and once or twice and don't make it that much more. Maybe that was the case. He wasn't in my direct group. So I'm not sure how that worked out for him. But yeah, so let's yeah. talk about those groups. How did how are how are they divvied up? I mean, do you just go like, hey, we have our four guys, we want to stay together. They go up with you, or do you get clumped in with others? And what's that process like? Before you ever leave, you got to pick an outfit that you're going to go with. We picked an outfit that was pretty expensive. Our our whole trip was like seven thousand dollars. I think the total trip was that included what what is the most expensive part, and that's actually staying at the top for one night. So nobody ever does that. But we wanted the experience of like staying. It's a Kilimanjaro is, is actually a volcano and you can smell the sulfur when you're at the top. And that first route I told you about when you're at Shira, 
That's actually the, there used to be another part of the mountain. There was three of them and the, that second one blew. And so it's gone. So you're staying in this flat place wherever that, where she quit and the, the guy passed away is where we were. And that was like a, a used to be a, another mountain peak, but it's flat now because it blew. So this is at the top, at the top, it's just a big, you know, you can see smoke coming out. Like it's, it's not, it's not active, but you can still tell that, you know, this thing, it could. I mean, in theory, but it used certainly smell sulfur at the top. Real quick, we'll take a step back. So it's my understanding you took the long route that was nine days. The shorter route's what, four or five? Yeah, you can get up it in five. Okay. And then Sometimes the reason why- people, Some try to do it in three, but there's usually problems. In, and that's 50% of the people that quit. So you, you hear this big statistic that 50% of the people that try, they quit. And that's because of that route. The Coca-Cola route just crushes people because they don't acclimate fast enough. The beauty of the Lamosha route is you go up to 13, then you go back down. Then you go up to 15 and you go back down. Especially between day four and day five, you go from the Moara Hut to Lava Tower and Lava Tower to Barranco Camp. So th that's up, right? And then you come back down to Barranco, from Barranco Camp to Karanga Camp, which is 13,000. So you go up to 15 and then back to 13. So the main reason people get, I don't know, maybe acute mountain sickness doesn't really matter the route you take, but the main reason people turn back is they're just going too many feet or meters per day in elevation. That's right. And they don't come back down. The best thing to do for your lungs is to go up. It'll just take out even the best Olympian, you know, the best shape of their life. It doesn't matter. It just affects everybody differently. And so... That's, that's what I was starting to say is that when that kid did that, you don't know if it was like his first time and he'd never tried to acclimate before. So coming to 13 for him just did it and he went too fast. So you just can't tell who's going to be affected by it. At least for you and the other three guys that you went with, day one, day two, you hear that a guy dies. What are the conversations you're having with each other at that point? I'll ask one more to that. Were you like, hey, this is what we signed up for? Or were you thinking, what, what are we doing? You know, the first day, it's really cool because you're in a rainforest. There's all these different types of habitats. I don't know if you've ever thought or talked about that, but there's different habitats. You go up, you go to a rainforest, then you go to this heath kind of marsh area, and then you go to that, this desert area. It's called the Alpine Desert. And then once you're past the Alpine Desert, you go back into the Arctic, which is the top. It's called the Arctic. So there's all these different habitats that you go through. So as you're going through the first habitat, the first day, it's really cool because there's you know, it's real green and it's lot. It's very you know wet and there's lots of animals. There's monkeys. Uh, you can run into water buffalo. Uh, there's all these different animals you've never seen before. And there's talk of like elephant that made it up to the top of the mountain and nobody knows how that elephant got up that high. But there's like all these stories that you hear from the guides. The guides are are what make the trip. And we had amazing guides and they just tell these stories every day while you're walking with them. So. The camaraderie with the team is really high. The first three days, like I was talking about, you know, everybody's still excited. You're feeling great. But it's day four when you go from 13 to 15 that you're like, oh, crap, what have I got myself into? <laughs> it's like, this is hard. Yeah, that's when you go to the lava tower. And everybody talks about the lava tower. I don't know if you've ever heard about it. But the lava tower literally is like this massive big wall. And it's when you really start to go, okay, this is when I've got to start acclimate. And then you go from Lava Tower to Barranco Camp. And Barranco is like this beautiful, there's like a waterfall and this really beautiful camp where you're looking at the next day where you have to climb up a ridge. It's called the, uh, it's a, it's a, I guess it's the Lava Tower. 
Yeah, so it's like um, the 300-foot-tall volcanic rock formation that you have to climb up, and that's the one place where you like have to use both hands and feet. The rest of it, you literally can walk the whole way. So it's that wall that's kind of known. It's really pretty famous when you're going up to Barranca Camp. You have to go over the lava tower. It could also be, gosh, the Great Barranca Wall. That's what it's called. It's that the okay. lava tower is not the wall. It's called the Great Barranca Wall. Sorry. So that's actually the the climb that takes two feet. I knew I was I knew I was getting confused. Anyways. And it's not 300 feet. There's this Bronco, great Bronco wall that's actually a 900-foot cliff. And you climb up the cliff, and it is some also volcanic rock, which is pretty cool. So, But when you get there, there's this great Karanga Valley that has like – it's just a beautiful valley that has all this really cool vegetation that you've never seen before. It's just, it's just there that you find this vegetation. And it's really beautiful in this alpine desert with all kinds of – I mean, it's just gorgeous – so when you go from Karanga Camp to Barafu Camp, that's when it gets really hard because Barafu is the very top. It's like base camp of your summit day. And so that's Barafu actually means ice in Swahili. And so when you get there, it's really cold. That's where it dropped that night, 15 degrees below zero. And we were just, we were really cold. I slept in like all my layers. I had five layers on when I went to bed. <laughs> it was crazy cold. Have I ever told you about that night, Travis? Maybe here real quick before you get into that. Yeah. When you get to that point, I am assuming that it's a full day to get to the summit. I mean, what's the point of no return when you're kind of going up? Or maybe we can get to that in a second after you talk about that night's sleep. But I'm just I'm thinking of that I don't know, like that mental anguish of you've got a a full day in front of you and like what happens if you get eighty percent the way there and you're like, shit, I gotta turn back. Like I just feel like that would be the most heartbreaking, awful thing that you came back close. Yeah, man. So that night, everything went wrong. The night that I got to Barafu camp, the, you, you talk about like the anguish you have. Um, I, by this point, they're having to give me oxygen because I'm not, my lungs aren't doing that well because I, I have a small case of like sports induced asthma. And so I'm kind of fighting that. And so that night we're sitting down talking about the next day and the whole trip, I'm the slowest guy. So they're not staying with me. They go ahead of me like every single day. And so that night they have a real come to Jesus with me. And they're like, bro, we're going to have to let you leave earlier than us because your pace is just too slow for the main day. And in case you don't make it, we're going to go ahead and just do our pace. And so I went by myself. My my two guys, it ended up not being four of us, it was three of us. And those two dudes, they backed out on me and they did not go with me. So I do the hardest day of my life by myself. My guys left. So I get up at three o'clock to leave. Hey, by myself. Yeah, yeah. Those guys. Huh? Yeah. (laughs) For real. Like I've always been the guy. Like if I'm with a bunch of dudes, you're on a hike. I'm gonna go with the slowest guy. I'm gonna stay in the back with you, and I'm gonna we're gonna do it together, right? We went around the world to do this together, and then they back out on me. Anyways, that night, man, we're standing around, and I'm like, guys, I'm not. not. My knees hurt. My back hurts. My ankles hurt. I haven't showered in seven days. I feel disgusting. I've got explosive diarrhea. <laughs> and and I feel like I'm having this headache that's going to explode. And I'm not breathing well. So that's where I'm at. I'm telling you, Travis, that's when you're like, I don't know if I can do this tomorrow. And so that night, on top of all of that, I'm laying in my sleeping bag. And this is the part, I don't know if I've ever told you this part of the story. It's really gross. But when you're that, that high in a, in a, and it's that cold, you're not going to get out of your sleeping bag 
And so it's real common for people to pee in a bag. You have like a bag that you carry and you just pee in your, in your, in this bag. And then you put the cap on and it sits beside your bed. Like that's just the part of, part of the deal. It's gross. But dude, my pee bag got a hole in it and it leaked oh, in my no. entire tent in my sleeping bag. Like, you know, dried that up. And so I'm sleeping in my own urine. It was just disgusting. It was so awful. So not only am I having all those issues, but I, I also have to deal with that. So when I get up at three o'clock and it's like pitch black and I'm starting to walk out of this thing. What do you do if you have to poop? Yeah. So my guys, my, that's the thing. Here's the part that people don't know. So we paid the extra money and had a guide per person. So we had somebody to carry our own bag for us. So not only did we not set up our tents, they were set up when we got there. There was a meal made for us. There was hot water outside of your outside of your tent so you can wash your hands and your neck and you know your face. They steam hot tea for you in your tent. <laughs> and they have their own small little tent that's just for a bathroom hut. It's like okay. it's just a bucket with a with a toilet bowl seat on it. But still, they carry all of that for you. When you're at, I don't know, 16, 18,000 feet, a bucket is a luxury. Oh, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right. Hey, yeah. So I interrupted you were saying it's 3 a.m. Let me go through Summit Day. This was the most impactful day of my life. I'll never forget what happened that day. We start going up. I go from, you know, we're at 15,000 feet, Barafu Camp. And, and I start scaling up the side of this mountain. It's just switchbacks. You're just going back and forth all the way up this thing. And my camelback is literally turned into a piece of ice on my back. It's that cold. Like I can't get any water out of it. So I'm having to ask my guide. His name is Elias. I'm like Elias, I need some water. So he's giving me water and they're giving me food. And they're just like, it's pitch black in the middle of the night. No, nobody's, um, there's not, you don't hear anything. It's not like the loud noise of the day. It's like, just completely quiet and you just feel so alone on this massive mountain. And the part that's really spooky, bro, is that these people are actually coming down the mountain that can't make it. So so they have their headlamps on and you see them walking towards you for a long time. And then you finally see these people and their their eyes are glazed over. They're not breathing well. You can tell they're in a lot of trouble and they have acute mountain sickness and they look like they've seen a ghost. They literally are like wobbly and you're going, what the heck? And so you, you understand it though. Like you're, you see them and you're like borderline, like, I, I get that. I could be there really easily. You just get to where you're like, I just don't want to go any further. Right. And so I'll never forget 17,000 feet. I turned to my guy and I'm like, I can't go any farther. I'm done. Quit. It's over. This was a stupid idea. I never should have left my freaking warm house in Tennessee. I want to go home. And so. Elias looks at me on, this is the, one of the statements that I, I need to have it tattooed on my body or something because he looks at me and he goes, Pastor Blake, do not pay attention to the cold. The cold is nothing. You pay attention to your breathing. The sun will rise in one hour. And so I was like, uh, I just okay. looked at him and I was like, bro, what do you mean don't pay attention to the cold? How about I roll your face down this mountain? I can't feel my fingers or my, 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 my feet. Like it's just the coldest I've ever been. But he, I just knew it was true. Like don't pay attention to the cold. Like don't pay attention to these circumstances. Pay attention to your breathing and the sun will rise in an hour. So sure enough, man, I look up this mountain and the sun starts to come up because I, he, he stood me up and said, we're going. And he kept me, kept me moving. 
and we're at 17,000 feet. And I take this picture that's like breathtaking of the side of this mountain. And I see the sun coming over and you can see how high above we are above the clouds. Right. And you can see these other mountains off in the distance. And it's just like gorgeous, just gorgeous. And so you turn around, I looked up the mountain and I saw the glaciers. Oh, heck yeah. I'm going to make it up this son of a bitch. <laughs> and, so, <laughs> and so I remember going from Barafu camp to Huru Peak. When I got there, sure enough, I landed at the top of this mountain and my guys got there the exact same time as me. And so it's sort of bittersweet. You know, it's like, hey guys, it's like three in the afternoon now. <laughs> and it's like, hey, how was your day? I remember seeing you like 12 hours ago and I did the hardest thing in my life by myself. Yeah. So anyways, we get to the top and then we take pictures and they actually don't want you to stay up there very long um, because it's so like, there's no oxygen. I had this whole speech for my girls, like to kind of give them this motivational talk. You can do whatever you put your mind to kind of talk. And I've been planning this talk the whole way up there, but you literally can't think straight. When you, when you don't have that much oxygen and you're that tired. So I pull out my camera. Nobody's ever going to see this video because I pull out my camera to say this inspirational video to my kids. And it comes out like, there's tears coming down. I mean, it's the stupidest conversation ever. So that we take a picture and I have a really funny picture because as soon as I, you take this, the infamous picture at the top of Uhuru Peak. And then, then I'm like, okay, I got to pee. And I took a picture. They took a picture of me peeing, uh, which oh, is sure. pretty funny. Oh, sure. So, so I, 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 I peed off of the roof of Africa. Another cool thing that happened is um, Uhuru actually means freedom in Swahili. And so I had this other vision of like thinking of the, you guys know the movie Braveheart, right? So Braveheart, there's that scene where he yells out, Freedom, right? So I, I like wanted to scream out Uhuru from the top and this crazy thing happens. So I yell out Uhuru over this whole valley, right? And out of nowhere, all of the guides, they all go, <laughs> the entire mountain like lights up with this sound because I yelled Uhuru and I was like, that was awesome. So uh, we make it to the top of Uhuru and we're like, let's get the heck out of here. So you literally go, from 19,000, we were not going to stay at the top in this volcano. We just wanted off the mountain. And so that's why our trip was going to be nine, but it turned out to be seven. So you go from 19,000 feet to 10,000 feet to this camp called Mawika Camp. It was there that I realized I'm in trouble. My throat started to shut up and I got a really bad case of laryngitis. My, my whole neck and my mouth and my throat all started to completely shut down and I couldn't hardly talk and I got really sick. And so we make it from Moika camp down to the gate. I got back to that hotel that night and I was telling them, I've got to find a doctor. I'm in trouble. And sure enough, there was this Swedish lady that had just climbed the mountain that was leaving and she had a Z pack. And so <laughs> my wife doesn't love this part of the story, but I'm like, Hey, can I borrow it? Can I have that? And she's like, yes, here. So she gives me a Swedish Z-Pack that I couldn't even read. <laughs> and I, I took the whole thing and it, it, it saved me. But it was kind of a bummer because my guys, the next day, they all went to do an African safari. And I was too sick to go on the safari. So they all, they all left me to go on a safari again. Quick break to talk about cassette eyewear. Thecassettecompany.com. Our listeners can get 20% off of all non-prescription eyewear. At checkout, enter promo code TRIP for 20% off. 
That's the cassettecompany.com. Back to the podcast. What's the perception of the guide toward the tourist? That clearly aren't equipped like you, not hydrated like you. Do they look at you guys and be like, come on, man, this isn't that hard. Yeah, my guide, he was like, I don't know, probably 55 and he had two knee band, you know, knee braces on and he he you just look like you could tell he has seen some some life. He has just been worn out by that mountain. I asked him, "So, tell me, Elias, how many times have you climbed this mountain?" He goes, "How many days are in a year?" Like <laughs> he's climbing the mountain every single day. He's on that mountain. This is his job, right? You just go, oh my gosh, like this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life and you do this for a living. So yeah, there's this there's this sort of thing like we have all this amazing gear. We have the best hiking poles. They're not using poles, you know? <laughs> and uh, you're, you're just like, you have all this stuff you need and they're like, dude, I just got my flip-flops on. I'm fine. Like, <laughs> yeah, there's this whole, yeah, you can just tell that we have all this really expensive gear. They don't have anything and they're doing it every single day. You may have mentioned this and I've missed it, but is there a better time of the year to go? Yeah, we went in September. That's usually September, October, right in there is um, the best time of the year to do it because it's not rainy season and it's not really that cold. It gets pretty cold up there. There's days that in their winter season, you, it's really hard to make it up there. Uh, that's the best season to do is September, October. From what I understand, you should probably research that to make sure. Yeah. But Okay, so you did it. It was great. What? The expectation versus reality. How did it compare from what you expected to what it was actually like? So one of the things I didn't expect is to lose 18 pounds. What? I mean, that. yeah, I lost 18 pounds. And part of that might have been because I got sick and I couldn't eat the last two days, three days. You know, my throat was closed up. So that's that's probably some of it. But I, I don't think – I think before I – you can tell in the pictures that in those seven days, I probably had already lost – 10 to 12. So, um, yeah, you, you do lose a lot of weight because you're going so hard all day long. You start about, you start about seven o'clock and you hike till about three. So you're done about three o'clock. You set up camp and you hang out that evening around the campfire and it's pretty cool. So from, from my expectations, it blew my expectations away. I was really surprised at how much I loved it. Now I will also say this, I'll never do it again. <laughs> yeah. Like it's too hard. It's just too hard. And the only exception would be is if like one of my daughters says, Dad, I want to do it. Would you do it with me? That'd probably be the only thing that compel me to go. Not for a cause. I don't care about your dang cause. <laughs> like, you know, but if you wanted if you wanted my kids want to do it, I'd probably I'd probably strap the boots back on. Uh, what would be easier or what would be harder the second time around? I think I'd probably have a lot more excitement about each camp as you kind of get to this different places because the beauty really is the different habitats. I just really enjoyed all the different the variety. It's not like the same thing. You see different stuff, you know, different environments of different vegetation and there's waterfalls and there's just places where it's really pretty. There's other things that I'm afraid will only get worse. And that's, that's two things because so many people are doing it now, there's actually an enormous amount of, um, of poop. If you think about all these people, there's not like there's you know, a way to, to get so around the corner from all, where all the guides go. So all the, all the Americans and all the climbers, they go in buckets that are carried out of there, but all of that's got to go somewhere. So they go around to the side of the mountain where people don't go. And there's like all this toilet paper and it's really gross. 
So there's there's that that I don't look forward to. And at the top of Barafu camp, that that actually the entire camp smells like urine. So there's a pretty bad odor up at the top. So that's the part I would I would not be looking forward to. And then the other part that's not going to be the same anymore is that the glacier is melting. And so it's losing its girth and its depth every single year. Because of that, I would be kind of sad, I bet, if I went and saw it again and it was a lot different than when I was there last. Think of this in the context of like when I go see people running a marathon, you see old people and fat people that you think don't belong at all running a marathon. Were there... I don't know, I'll just say like old people, people that were out of shape, climbing Kilimanjaro that you look at like, dude, you have no business being here. So I don't know if you saw the special, but there is a special about vets that climbed it and some of them didn't have legs, you know, and they were helped by people that were athletes and that sort of thing. There's a lot of shows about that kind of stuff about who, who actually climbs Kilimanjaro. And the truth is about anybody can do it. It really is like the largest mountain to climb that you can walk all the way up. It's not a technical climb. That's sort of the going thing is you can see so many variety of different kinds of people from all over the world. Every kind of dialect is on the mountain. And there's there really was an Olympic runner that like was running past us. But there was also like that, like I said, a 60 year old woman who was with me and she was not in great shape. She was a little overweight. You know, you just go, wow. But it also is very inspiring to see that kind of variety of people. The price for everybody is somewhere between you can get on the mountain if you do a group climb or a private climb from anywhere from $2,500 to $5,000, right? It's kind of the high end is for a $5,000 Lamosha crater. So the, the the one that's the most expensive is our $5,000 one that was a little staying in the crater plus travel. So so that's why our whole trip was seven grand. But I think you could get away with it if you did like a group climb and you did like the Lamosha route. You can do it for three grand plus travel. So I think you could do for four or $5,000. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, yeah, I don't say that as far as being surprised by someone who's older or out of shape. I don't say that necessarily to be critical. It is inspiring. Yeah. Would you ever do it? I don't think so. <laughs> I really don't. Yeah. Are you just not interested? I don't know. Like there's nothing that I, I just say this is a little bit out of character for me. It's all I ever want to do with my time is like, oh, let's go here. Let's see this. Let's do this. But climbing Kilimanjaro, it's just, I don't, not really. I don't know what huh. that says about me, but no, like I just, no, maybe I'm missing out. And I'm, yeah. I'm glad I did it, but I do say I probably won't do it again. Yeah. Me or any one of your other friends that you know well would come to you and say, Blake, should I go climb Kilimanjaro? What would you say to them? I would say absolutely. If, you, yeah. if you're thinking about climbing it, go do it. It's, it is one of those, it's a bucket list thing that, you know, you, you, you can't get that high with any other, you know, everything else is a technical climb. It takes incredible training to do that kind of technical, like ice climbing and all that crap. It's none of that. It's a hike. You can hike to the top. And so to get that high on a hike is just really exceptional life experience. Felt more intimidating or like, oh, I don't know if I could do that. So I don't know. Maybe I need to be a little more open-minded. But I didn't realize it was you're basically hiking up a trail until you get to the top of the mountain. Yeah. Yeah, it's all trail walking. There's that only place, a little bit of a technical climb. But I mean, I would take a a seven-year-old up that thing. I mean, it's it's not that hard. So that's the only place where when you're going up, I think it's Great Barranco Wall is what it's called. When you go up that, it's a little bit technical, but not really. All right. Good deal, man. Anything else that I didn't ask or 
we missed that you want to throw in before we end this? One of the things that I didn't love is that flight. I just don't, I just don't want to fly 20 hours again <laughs> and, yeah. you know, connect the connecting flights and all of that. Sometimes the ride can be really just, you're sitting down for hours and hours and hours in a plane and just like, I just get tired. Of, but again, I've been to Africa like 10 times. So it's just that flight. I just don't want to do it anymore. So that's a big hindrance. So like why I probably wouldn't want to go again. <laughs> if I fly to the other side of the world and I take a 10 hour flight or, you know, a day full of flying, just to go somewhere and be a tourist and eat and really do nothing but relax. Like I still feel worn out, notwithstanding the fact that I'm like, all right, I'm exhausted from the flight. Now let's go climb this 20,000 foot mountain. Maybe that's part of it too. I haven't had the desire, the inclination to, to do it or want to do it. I don't know, man. It's just like, just thinking about it makes me tired. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to fly all that way and then take nine days to climb up a mountain. Yeah, dude, uh, that's all I got. I appreciate you talking about this. I'm glad. I mean, I've heard bits and pieces of the story as we've just been hanging out, but it's nice to one conversation about everything from start to finish. So, dude, I appreciate it. Thanks for listening. As always, follow us on Instagram at So How Was Your Trip. Leave positive feedback on iTunes. And if you've gone on a trip worth talking about, please reach out. We'd love to have you on.